Cast and Blast Conversation Season 3, Episode 6. This week, we are joined by a longtime listener and friend of the show, Captain R.C. Gilliland. So happy I got to sit down with R.C. First fishing guide we have had on the show. Uh, we had Elizabeth Bland on earlier this season. Her husband runs charters, but we've not had a actual fishing guide on the show. R.C. is the first and there's a great reason why you guys are going to love this conversation with him we go deep dive on tarpon so if you want to know about beach fishing for tarpon we give you a lot of how to's on doing this but just a fantastic guy if you're looking for adventure this summer rc is one of the people you should absolutely reach out to and call so you will enjoy this conversation with rc gilland coming at you right now how you doing rc doing well travis how you doing doing excellent first question who is rc gilland that's me. It's um, existential, right? <laughs> yeah, I don't know how to answer that one, to be totally honest. How do you, uh, well, tell, tell folks what you do. I'm a full-time fishing guide in Sarasota, Florida. Been doing it. I've had my license for coming up on 13 years in July and grew up kind of hunting and fishing. Huh, okay. So hunting you, and fishing. Yeah, you're, yeah. Not just, you're not just that. You also are a hunter. Right. Um, I will, I, we'll talk, we'll, we'll do the RC Gilliland story here in a second, but first we have to ask these questions to everybody to kind of qualify you for the podcast. So, um, pineapple on a pizza. It's a hard no for me. Okay. I can't, I, I, like I, if it's Got on there, man. I'll pick it off and eat it, but I, I'm not eating it. My, my roommate, Patrick, all about it. Loves, really? a, loves a Hawaiian pizza. Oh my God. I, I can't get behind it. Yeah, like, are you, is that like a call for a new roommate? Is that what that is that what I just heard? Is he like the a, one? Yeah. <laughs> we need to ask some hard questions right. about Patrick and his behaviors. Um, boat or blind snack? You're pretty in shape, dude. Like, like you, you don't I look don't, like somebody that's a muncher. I, I do. I'll go through phases. Okay. Um, more so with duck hunting. I don't. Yeah. I don't snack much on the boat. I try not to eat it at all. Um, more so to avoid bathroom breaks than anything. Um, but as long as I'm continuously moving, I'm good, you know, running around the boat, driving my head's elsewhere. So I yep. don't get hungry. Um, but duck hunting my, because you sit there. Yeah. You're just sitting around waiting yeah. and you're like, man, I could eat some, uh, my go-to would probably be a payday. Really? Yeah. I like a payday. Um, any kind of ice cream sandwiches at, you know, two, three in the morning oh, that's hit, hits home. It's yes. great. There's, there's something about. As a fishing guide, you can speak to this, right? Right. Because I do way more waterfowl trips than I do fishing. But when right. I was doing a lot of fishing trips, mm -hmm. you can't snack every day like you do during duck season. Like no. you'll die. You'll you'll die of diabetes or, or right. a, yeah. a heart attack <laughs> yeah. or something. Yeah. No, I I don't and I definitely snack hard in the in the duck blind. Yeah. Um, and I think I snack hard and then Chad Andrews. Oh yeah, everybody knows Chad. Oh my God, he uh, and he he weighs seventy two pounds. I, I don't get it. I don't know. I don't know. He doesn't gain any <laughs> it's weight. It's infuriating to me because yeah. I could look at a payday bar and gain four pounds. <laughs> um, so favorite little Debbie. This is I actually had to do. I actually had to look up what all fell into the little Debbie category. Okay, it'd be a toss up between uh, Nutty Buddy. That's solid. And a uh, Swiss cake roll. Um, <sighs> Yeah, go let for me it. ask you. Refrigerated. If, I was going to say in the ice chest. Yeah, because that's where I want to be on yeah. both of those. Yeah, it's got to be cold. Uh, the nutty buddy I could go either way, but the Swiss cake roll has to be cold. I could go either way on the nutty buddy too, but when it gets melty, I'm not it's as no big good. a fan. No. So I, I I keep them in their fridge just just to be safe. Right. Like it's better safe than sorry. If you're gonna if you're gonna put the effort into going out and harvesting <laughs> a, a nutty buddy, <laughs> you might as well go the full nine yards. So you said you are a full time fishing guy. Yes. 
let's start here. How'd you how'd you get into fishing? Uh, grew up doing it. My dad, he's born and raised Sarasota. I'm born and raised Sarasota. And so he grew up fishing. So I grew up fishing. We fished pretty much every weekend growing up. You didn't so, have a choice. Like, yeah, you're, I was you're going. A cradle, you're a cradle fisherman. I was going. Yeah. No, but he, he would bring us out in like a cradle, you know, when we were not infant, infant, but you know, a year or two years old when he had to watch us, but he wanted to go fish. The weather was good. And, uh, what did you fish for? Everything, anything, anything, fresh water, salt water. We did predominantly salt water, but I remember being young, five, six, eight years old. We'd go fish Mayaka River, Mayaka Lake. And when my, me and my brother were really young, we'd actually stay in the boat and he'd tie the boat to himself and wade fish. And he'd be throwing a fly rod, we'd be throwing spinning rods. And as we got older, you know, eight, 10, 12 years old, old enough to where we were comfortable in the water with the alligators and snakes and everything else you may encounter in waist high, chest high water. <laughs> neck uh, high for an eight year old. Yeah, neck high for me. Um, we'd actually get out and wade with him, but mainly saltwater fished. And he had, him and my uncle were partners, whatever you want to call it, partial owners with each other, um, with a small stump jumper skiff. Yep. With a 40 Johnson on it initially. He's got a 40 Yamaha on it now. And oh, he still has that boat? My uncle does. Okay. Yeah. He put a 40 Yamaha uh, four stroke on it finally after, God, it had to be 20, 25 years. <laughs> and uh, then they had a 21 Pro Line Cuddy Cabin. That you could go offshore? Right. And we we would do that if it was nice, and sometimes even if it wasn't so nice, we'd go Just grouper fish. Yeah. Just send it. Yeah, I remember. And it it realistically it would be like two to four footers, but when you're young, it looks a lot. It bigger. feels like the perfect storm, right? Yeah, yeah. You're like, it's four I, I to six out here. That my grandfather took me out at Boca Grande in stuff where you you could look around the boat and see nothing but water. Like it felt like that to me. Right. Like like you were in the waves so deep that you could not you see, could see anything. Nothing but water. else is there. I know that's not true. But that's but it what felt it feels that like way. to me. Right. <laughs> Everything's always magnified when you look back. Oh, yeah. So, um, did you grow up hunting? Or yeah. Did you get into that? Yeah. My godfather's family owned roughly 500 acres on the Macca River. Okay. Just south of Clark Road. So, we did predominantly spot and stock pig hunting and stuff. We did a little deer hunting. Some tur- That's where I shot my first two turkeys, and it was like the easiest thing in the world. Uh you know where when they're, they're right, roosting. You know where they're going to feed. When they're and, right on private land and unbothered, they can be pretty dumb. Well, it's not even a dumb thing. You just, they're roosting here. The feeder's there. You're going to get them in yeah. In crossing, call to them a little bit. They come over to say, you know, what's this guy doing over here? Yep. And, you know, 10 minutes in, you're done. <laughs> they kind of spoiled me for sure. Now, um, and you've, I have the question now, what's your favorite thing to chase? Gun to your head, you can only pick one thing. What are you picking? Animals? Like yeah, hunting? Animal or fish. Or fish. Um, yeah, like let's turn the pressure up. Or pick one of each. I don't care. I, fish, it's kind of a toss-up. I'm, I really, really like the tarpon thing. Really, really like that. Beach tarpon fishing. I also really like red fishing. I really like fishing for redfish. Like um, tailing redfish or just like when they're that would be. And, and, that's okay. like... The pinnacle for me okay. would be, you know, throwing at tailing redfish. The, nothing gets me, like, fired up like that. It's but, something, something special yeah, about that. Yeah, it is. What about um, hunting? Hunting, I got to go with duck hunting. I, I like the spot and stock stuff for pigs and, you know, pretty much go for a walk until you see them and then kind of put the sneak on them. 
I like the elk hunting. I, I was going to say, hunting. I'm surprised you went past elk. I, I know you killed your first elk. Yeah, I'm going with my like normal routine stuff okay. that I stay with. But elk hunting was incredible. The stuff that's home to you. Yeah, my my home base. That's opera. how I think home, of it too. Like, home base. I'm sure I like shooting a harlequin or something, but I'm not yeah, going to yeah. say that. Right. It's not what I'm going to go do. Right. So no, that's. But how was elk hunting? Was it like turkey it's, hunting? No, we we were fortunate. Um, one of my dad's clients is really good friends with a guy who has a huge ranch. Out, I don't know how big it was, miles. <laughs> and uh, just and it was a group party hunt with the owner and everything and his friends that all live up there. So we got preference because he owns a pile of land. Um, got our tags and first morning sitting in this ditch where we, not a ditch, but where this little creek bottom kind of was. We'd seen elk there the previous year. We were up there fly fishing. And granted, it was a month prior and things are different. But we sat there that first morning and, you know, about nine, eight, probably 830 rolls around. Nothing, hadn't seen a thing, hadn't heard a thing. Like, all right, let's move. Start walking and start climbing this hillside. And you see it. You could see him clear as day across this bottom down here, kind of in a valley. You could see this couple elk and a couple cows in the bottom. And then there's a bull sitting on the hillside. And like, okay, but you can't go to it you can't straight line it because it's of all the terrain it's yeah it's all open you're all you have to cross 500 yards of open pasture or field or meadow or whatever you're you want to call it you're exposed you you'd be seen fall. yeah right so you have to take this two mile loop walking this mountain range around to get to it but it paid off and got it on the first morning uh, archery rifle 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 i'm i'm not an archery guy i've I tried to get into it, and it's just something about having to wait for something to get that close. And in the way I like to hunt spot and you know to put the creep on stuff and get close to them is not really conducive for archery most of the time. Yeah, no, I, I get it. I'm not an archery guy either. Nothing against it. No, Nate, it's Nate's awesome. A huge archery guy. I just archery is not my jam. Right. Um. So you are a fishing guide. Correct. We've never had a fishing guide on the show, believe it or not. Wow. Besides me. Obviously. Besides you, obviously. <laughs> um, how long have you been doing that full-time? Full-time? Uh, so, let's see. I turned 26, so that was six years ago. I went okay. full-time. So, since you were 20? 26. Since I was you were 26. 26, I went full-time. Full-time. Gotcha. How many days a year do you run charters? It's such a weird toss-up. Like, I know roughly how many I'd do if I had to ballpark it, but I would say... Probably a hundred and eighty days, hundred and fifty days, somewhere some in there. Of but those are some of those are doubles. Yeah, some of those are all days. So it it varies so much year to year. I don't really keep count. Right. Um. But I I would estimate I'm on the water between two hundred and two hundred fifty days a year. Yeah. Well, between personal tournaments and work. Now, do you fish a lot of tournaments? A some, not a lot. I liked. We did some redfish tournament stuff. Um, got a couple wins, got some close stuff and you got in some money. Yeah. Yep. Got a couple placed one. They did a local tournament here. One biggest redfish two years back to back and, um, never won like an IFA and stuff, but like been on the right fish and been close. Do you like tournament? <clears throat> I love it. I love it. Is it because of the competitiveness? Just. The whole process okay. is is a lot like hunting to me, and that's probably why I like the duck hunting thing as much as I do is because you got to 
find where you want to be. You got to do everything just so everything. And then you still need this wild animal to cooperate. And there's a lot of luck involved, but also a lot of work involved. A lot of, and a lot of precision in that work. Right. Like it's an analogy I would use in duck hunting is if you're off by, you can know where the X is, but if you're off that X by 30 yards, you're, yeah. you're screwed because if the ducks land 10 yards on the other side of that X, you're out of range. Right. That's how it is with fishing a tournament, right? Like right. If you're, if you're not doing it precisely. Right. And we actually just did um, the Flats Masters Winter Series, the last leg, the third leg. Me and my buddy Jeremy fishing in Sarasota and just got set up wrong wind. You know, the wind was just wrong. We were having to make these casts kind of crosswind. And we just had to, like, back out of there, go reset up, put the boat in the right position, and got it. And, and it worked. And sometimes you just, rather than beating your head against the wall, he's like, this, he's like, he just, like, he's like, all right, we got to change it up. This isn't working. Uh, tournament fishing is really unique to me from a guide's perspective because – it's different than what you do totally on a daily basis. Totally and, different. And a lot of people just think, well, you're fishing. Everything's fishing. And it's, 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 a, it's a very different. Can you contrast that? It's very different. Um, what I do day to day is a night and day difference for tournament fishing. Simply because most of the tournaments that we do fish, you have to throw artificial lures. And then you're looking for the right size fish. And you need to find fish that haven't been overly pressured you need to be able to pattern them you need happy fish happy fish um and, and if you're not from florida in a redfish tournament right you're looking for the biggest 27 inch redfish you can catch just under 27 yeah, yeah. just yeah. just under 27, 27 and 9 eighths or 9 tenths yeah. yeah you want the biggest so the fattest one of those you can right you could have a terrible charter or you caught two fish and you could have a banner tournament day where you, where you catch two, two fish. fish. Right. <laughs> Correct. So it, right. it's it's really unique when you think being able to function in both those things. Because mm. it, it talks about how you have to behave as a fisherman and be on fish all the time. And, and that's another thing I like about it is because it is that type of fishing that I like to do. So it gives me a little bit of time to kind of do what I want to do. Where which yesterday I was actually really spoiled. I got a client I fish pretty regularly on his boat. And he's, you know, we went and threw lures and caught redfish. Just, so, so what you're talking about there is throwing artificials versus live bait. So, so tell <clears throat> most people when they come to Florida, what's the expectation on a charter? I want to go catch for, for, for West Coast Florida. It it varies so much for people, but you know they want to catch a snook. We get a lot of people who want to catch fish to eat. Uh, not a ton, but there are people who are like, yeah, we'd like to catch some fish for dinner. Which right now with the closures is tough, but necessary. Um, Even before the closures, it, it was tough. It was getting tough. You're, for, you're talking a, a one snook, one redfish, like not, to, yeah, not to mention trying to catch that one snook that's 28 to 33, right, which is like a very it, smart fish, and a lot has to go right for that. It, it wasn't like you were able to free, fill the freezer. No, outside outside of trout, outside of trout, right? <laughs> you made a funny comment the other day about the closure. Best way to get trout, save trout stocks, is to open a seasonal cormorant. Oh. I had four of them around the boat today. Just following? Just just hanging there. Just and real. you guys were in deep water trout, right? Yeah, we're you know fishing four to six foot of water. And they 
it's just the flat they know. And there's certain birds I've noticed now in certain areas that fly with the boat as I'm running. Like they'll just, you'll see him off your left side and he'll cross over. Right. He's just following you. And if you don't stop on these couple flats that he likes to favor because they get fished pretty regularly, he'll peel off and go back. Find somebody else. Yeah. Sell out on you. Um, Talk a little bit about how the seasons work for fishing for you as a guide. And this is a couple, where I'm going with this, not to lead you into this question too much is kind of how you focus tarpon certain times of the year versus what you focus on the other times of the year, which is inshore. But I, I know you also do some nearshore trips, right? Right. Um, and then well, let's, let's talk about that first, like how that works. Like what do you do at what times of the year? So springtime, we start to get our bait show up. Usually you know, we had it in February this year. It was kind of patchy, but there was good amounts of greenbacks or white bait or pilchards, whatever you want to call it. Um, so that helped out for our inshore stuff. And then – Usually mid-March, we get our kingfish start to show up. With the kingfish come the sharks and the mackerel. Didn't get, We don't get much bonita run in the spring, it seems like. There's some, but not anything close to compared to fall. Um, this is all near shore. That's, that's near shore. Right off the beach, what are you, a mile or two off? It could be a mile or two. Sometimes for kingfish, we'll go six, eight miles. You know, hit some of the deeper M reefs and artificial reefs out there. And then... That's kind of winding down now. It's starting to get warm, and those fish are pushing north. Yeah, we're recording this mid-April. Right. For, for point yeah, April 14th today. Yeah. 15th. 15th. Um, so that's kind of winding down here. There's still some fish out deeper, but nothing that I'm – and it's been blowing so much right. also, so I'm not going we out there. a weird cold front. front yeah. That moved but, but a lot of wind in general for – Yeah, just a – yeah. And what is normally – West wind. A lot of east. What we should have yeah. east, right, it's a lot of west and south. Um, kind of coming out of that, getting into May, we're into tarpon season then, and it could be as early as May one. It could be as late as the third week of May. Um, I've had years where it was like May 18th, 19th before we caught our first fish. Really? Yeah. It just depends so much on the water, the water temp. And if we get these late fronts, like we've been getting, it can kind of put the brakes on the fish and they'll just stay down South where it's warmer. Exactly. Because it's going off in the keys right now. Right. Um, so, and then you fish tarpon all summer? No. Um, our beach thing is good kind of through June. Once we hit 4th of July, those fish go spawn. And Some we, will come back, but not all. Right. It's not, And it's nothing like when they're here pre-spawn. You're not throwing in schools of, you know, what could be several hundred fish. You're throwing at singles, rolling in set areas, and... You may not get bit all morning. Right. But, you know, we've had days where you've put six, eight, 10, 12 fish in the air in a very short period of time. It's just, are you in that little pocket they want to be in? And it's are they much happy? It's more hit or miss once you get in. Very July. hit or miss, yes. So do you switch to inshore then? I'll switch. I'll do predominantly inshore come July. So and snook trout red? Snook trout redfish until. What is that? Probably October is when the kingfish and the mackerel and bonita really show and back you'll up sharks. Back to- we'll do a little bit of near shore. I'll still stay. I'll do inshore year round. Like I won't go too exclusively near shore stuff, but I'll alternate. Now, there's also a season, and this is what I was kind of trying to talk about in the notes. There's also a season you have where you get busier with snowbirds, right? Versus residents versus like how does that work? 
when's your busy time as far as that goes or is it spring? Or in like the heart or kind of just getting out of the heart of it. Yeah, April, April's when snowbirds wrap up. Right. March is, you know, we got our spring break traffic. The snowbirds are down because they have, you know, family coming to visit and relatives or friends. Um, and they're here through the winter. And usually it used to be kind of Easter. After Easter weekend, it would slow up. And now it's, I think it's this week's kind of our last spring break week. And then mid-April. Yeah, mid-April. So when is, I'm putting a bug out there for people, because I know a lot of folks listening to this want to come fish. When is an underrated time to come inshore fish? Ooh, um, it's got to be our slow time. Like, I really like fishing September, October. Nobody's around. The weather's nice. The weather, it's, 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 not, hot, too it's hot, not too hot. Right. Uh, especially you get into October, but September, the fishing can be phenomenal. Um, still got high tides. There's usually tons happy. of bait. Fish are happy because they're not getting ran over by 8 million jet skis and 3,700 rental boats. And it's a, it's a nice time to fish. The, the just, water's calmed a little bit. Right. And yeah, there's a lot less traffic. Yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a time that I, I always enjoy running charters. Is I do too. I, it, I don't do it as much anymore because of duck season. Right. Because I'm working on scouting ducks and getting ready for everything else. But September, October is a magical time. To be it is a great time. Um, you're just not rolling into spots going, man, I hope this wasn't hit earlier. Or I hope so-and-so wasn't there. And you, you're kind of alone out there. It's nice. It's yeah. quiet. It, it's, it's like it used to be. Right. Yeah, how it used to be almost year-round. Yeah. Um, tarpon season's coming. Right. So this will probably air right around the beginning of May. Um, let's talk about how you fish for tarpon. So first, let's clarify. Where do you fish for tarpon? I, I fish in the Sarasota area, and I may go as far south as Venice Jetty. I've been south of the jetty a few times. Um, just... Not so much trying to find fish, but trying to find areas with less boats. And you're talking off the beach. Off the beach, yeah. With, with, so, within so a about this may think, oh, fly, fishing for tarpon. You're in Boca Grande. Yeah, or you're in the Keys. Right. So you're explain kind of what this this process looks like. So these fish will all get off. They're migrating up here to get ready to spawn. So they're coming up and down the beach, and I don't know how it works, but there's like a switch where there'll be fish going north. And then one day you'll get fish that are start going south. I don't know if that's temperature driven or if you just get fish kind of get in a rotation to where they start at one point and work their way south or north and then turn around and go back. I don't know how when that switch happens, but usually that switch happens somewhere around June time frame. Where, where they switch the direction they're going. Right. Yeah. You'll have in May, most of your fish seem to go north. And explain to folks what these look like when you see them like. They're, they're pods. Or it's, daisy yeah. Explain that. It's, and they could be a several different setups. You could have a school of fish pushing down the beach. So it'll look like a dolphin rolling on the surface with no fin on it. And they may be going very fast and they'll really kind of come out of the water like their whole bot, whole back will come out. And then you'll get schools of what Travis just called and what is referred to as daisy chaining fish where they'll just be kind of going in a circle. And they'll still be progressing that direction, but they're very slowly doing this big circle and it's, they're happy. They're, they're in a good, they're in a the good, money shot they're right in a good, here. they're in a good mood. Minutes. It can be a little tricky sometimes when they're doing that because they're move. Sometimes they move so slow. You can't quite lead them enough to not spook them when you make that, when you make that cast. So it can be a little tricky. 
So explain explain that. Like, what's the idea? You find you find a pod of fish out there that's daisy chaining on the beach. Yeah. You find a group of fish, and uh, it depends on who you talk to. Everybody kind of does everything different. How do you, how do you do? I it? like to do it. I spend the bulk of my morning on the trolling motor. Usually, if I'm on the big motor, it's to get from A to B. Uh, but you see the fish, hopefully from a distance, not right next to you. See the fish from a distance. See which way they're going, and very slowly. You want to move not super quick, but you want to move quick enough to where you can gain on them and get out in front of them. And then get your baits just kind of in their path and let them come into your baits. So not, in, other, in other words, you've got this circle that's almost drifting correct. north or south. Right. And you want to position yourself so that bait is in the path of that circle. Right, but not too far out to where that crab goes to the bottom, but not too close to where you spook the fish. It's a small window. What are you what are you using for bait? I'll mainly throw crabs in May. Uh, usually come June, it seems like they I don't know if it's because they've been bombed on the head by people who with you know bad casts or you know inexperience, whatever it may be, but they seem to kind of turn off the crab bite about June, especially mid-June. We'll do a lot more with Threadfin, herring, we'll do a lot more with pinfish. Do you do live threadfin? Yes. Yeah, I don't do the dead bait thing. You don't do you don't do dead bait? No. So um and are you using corks? Sometimes. Depends uh, on the fish. Depends on the pest fish, depends on the customer. Gotcha. Um Explain. I kind of mix it up. So early, early morning, crabs were you know, first light, right when you can just start seeing the fish. I'll run a cork. It's the most magical time. It is. And See, it seems you're, like, you're shaking. You're yeah, like, here we it's, go. It's, it's going to happen. It's the most magical time. Because usually the fish are unpressured. They're moving really slow. They're happy. They haven't been ran over yet. They haven't had baits thrown on top of them. They're Which gonna, is going to happen gonna, to them in 10 it's minutes. It's going to happen very soon. Uh, usually first light, I will run corks because those fish are higher up in the column. I want that bait to stay high so it silhouettes better and they can see it. Midday... And if the fish aren't moving a lot and they're staying down deep and they're not really showing, but you're fishing that little dark spot, then I'll run no cork. Um, and if I got guys who can do what I need them to do as far as keeping your line tight, but not reeling too much to where you're dragging the crab away from them, then I'll run no corks. Let's talk about that for a second. I want to, I want to come back to bait in a minute, but let's talk about <laughs> that for a second. Do you this, try to describe what you're describing? Because this is the hardest thing I have to teach clients is how do you use your line as an indicator without moving it so that you, but you, you, so it's not tight, but it's, I'm trying to say it, say it. It's, it's interesting. And I can, you can see it. You can physically see the line jump when that fish eats. You know, when the fish eats by watching the line. Right. Yeah. When I've got baits in these, in these, you know, in the school of fish. You can, I'm watching their line and I'll periodically like look up to watch the fish to make sure they're kind of doing what they're doing, but I'm watching the line and if they reel, I know about it and I'm probably going to freak. I don't know that they're reeling, but I see that the line's coming tight and I usually start yelling to reel. Um, but you want the line not taut, but not slack. You want just (laughs) enough tension on it to where you can feel what's going on when that fish thumps. Yep. It's it's the hardest thing to describe, and you, I'm assuming you do this with snook and redfish and everything. Else right, too similar, right? Right. Like, 
to me, it's one of the hardest things for a client to understand mm. is that balance between it's not a slack line, right? But it's not a Complete. line where you're reeling it constantly to keep steady tension on right. it. It's like this weird in between balance, right? I don't it's, know that that exists other places in fishing, but um, it's almost like yeah, I don't know. like dead dead sticking a fly almost. Yeah, I've never, I've never done the dead stick and the fly it's, thing. It's just, yeah, it's it's a unique thing. I don't know. I wish I could describe it because I wish I could hand my clients a, a picture of it before they get on the boat. So right. I show, this is what your line. This is what you're like. looking for. <laughs> and yeah, it's a it's a tough thing to try to explain to people. And usually I'm like, just just leave it, and I'll let you know. Yeah, inevitably if, they uh, will try to reel it though, right? Because they think it needs to be tight because that's what you're taught. Right. From two years old, right? The first time you pick up a fishing right. line is keep, keep your, your line, line tight, tight so you can feel it. Everyone's dad has said that to them loudly mm-hmm. <laughs> and repeatedly. And repeatedly. Uh, go back to bait. You talked about crabs. Are you using pass crabs? Uh, pass or blues. Okay. Um, I don't use the purple legs, whatever those are actually referred to as. Yeah. But whatever the technical name is, but we call them purple legs. That's what you do. You, you I don't, don't call use. them calicos? No, because calicos are different. Those are the ones with the spots, right? Correct. Like the little dots on yeah. them? Yeah. Okay. My dad, my dad, he used to work for Moat, and they said they called him shame face crabs because he, when he puts his claws up, his, it's like he he's covering them. his face kind of thing. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I prefer the blues just because they're hardier. Yeah. Like the past crabs, I have a terrible time keeping alive. We don't, we don't get a, a – we'll get some blue crab flow, but not a lot. Most of what we're getting are the red crabs or brown crabs. Yeah, or the ones pass we call crabs. pass crabs. Right. Um, um, and I like those because I catch them on my own. So I don't have to pay for four or five dollars a crab for them. Right. It's pretty great. Yeah, that is that is nice <laughs> when you go out with a dip net and a fast tide and, and your your buddy or your girlfriend or whatever and yeah. dip crabs for an hour and have enough for the week. Right. <laughs> Ideally. Yeah. On a good tide that's What do you what do you look for for dipping crabs? Just a a big outgoing tide. I and want a really high tide and I want to go in out any of the passes really. Um just You'll get this like four to six day stretch where you get really good tides for it. And it happens about every two weeks, you know, relation to the new or full moon. Um, but just looking for a big outgoing tide. And then sometimes, you know, this area doesn't have a whole bunch, but, you know, the next pass up does or two right. passes up. So you just kind of. Yeah. At some way down <laughs> south, that's how it'll be. Some some days it's here. Some days it's there. Right. Um, when you're fishing the beach for tarpon. Yep. How far? far off the beach are you i always say within 500 yards sometimes it's closer sometimes it's farther uh we're fishing most of the time ideally 14 to 20 foot sometimes we'll end up out to 24 25 when those fish sometimes they'll just really push out deep um which is pretty magical because they're something about that deep water they haven't been pounded they're much easier to catch yes they're very cooperative uh but then sometimes they're up top on the bar and they're in eight ten feet of water which i hate it's It's the the worst you can see them better right but they're much harder to catch much harder do you find that the fish for the day tend to stay in the same lane so in other words in, in my experience beach fishing yes if they're 500 yards off the beach that's where you find your school most of the schools you find will be 500 yards off the beach that day. Most of the time. They, they tend to stay in a they lane tend to stay in that for some depth. period of time. Right. That depth until they hit, like we have off in certain areas, there's a change where 
the fish will jog out because or of a bar or, a, bar a, or a, a depth change or whatever a reef there's many things that can probably a shark i mean who knows but it seems like you're right in that most of those fish will be if you see a school of fish in 16 foot of water that next school of fish is probably going to be in 16 foot of water exactly so i wanted to say that because one of the things i have down here is etiquette for beach fishing for tarpon right always listen to this they want to go try beach fishing for tarpon themselves understanding that is important to me for how you behave so take people through how you would want them to behave in beach fishing for tarpon and you can't tell them to stay home get it get it uh get a trolling motor uh if you don't have a trolling motor don't try to motor up to the school of fish and throw on top of it. They're it's, not going to eat. It's not going to work. They're not going to eat. And all you're doing, not only are you not going to, you you may be successful one out of, I don't know, 50, 100 times if you do it far enough upwind and you shut it down. You can It can be done. They're but, still fish. They're not that smart. But. Right. It's less than ideal. Um, and all you're doing is just the next boat that tries to get on them, it, they're just going to be grumpy and it's a bad situation for everybody. Uh Ideally, you would have a trolling motor. Spend a lot of time on it. If you don't kind of get in that depth zone where you think there should be fish, if you see a school of fish go by and they're 50 yards, 100 yards outside of you, I would position yourself to where your baits are sitting on that line. Where those fish went through. Right. Not trying to get onto that group of fish, but like we just said, that same depth line for that next school of fish to come in. How productive is chasing fish on a trolling motor that's past you? Like, do you do you? It depends on how a, fast they're going. If they're greyhounding, if they're greyhounding, yeah, not you're not going to catch them. Um, what we'll do sometimes, if you know, if there's not, if we've already hooked fish out of that school, and you know it's a happy bunch, quote, um, I'll kind of idle down the beach. And you'll see guys like pull in and like try to make it happen as they're passing by. But usually when those fish are really moving greyhounding, they're not chewing. Your best bet would be just to kind of stay with them, get out deep and just idle on your big motor, you know, deep, deep, 26, 28 foot of water, way out. But watch them. At some point, those fish get tired and they stop and they'll start to daisy chain and they'll get right and take your shot. And it may be a minute or two that they stop there and they're good. And then they're going to keep pumping down the beach or that may be it. And they may just like be mellow. They may be there for a while until you hook an, until you hook, hopefully hook one out of it. And then they're going to keep charging or hook two. Right. And all hell can break loose on your boat. Uh, what do you look for in tarpon habitat? I, I put this question in there. I know that's a dumb question to me and you, but explain like, what do you look for in tarpon habitat? You're just really looking for water depth off the beach, right? Essentially. Um, we notice it here. I'm sure it's the same thing down there. There are areas where historically fish will be. Uh, you'll see a pile of boats there. I try to avoid it, but there's a reason they're there. It there You will get shots at fish, but I try to look for areas with decent, decent amount of fish, less boats. If I can get away from anybody, I try to get away from them. Do you, uh, talking about etiquette a minute ago, Say you're on fish. Right. I always tell people, etiquette-wise, whatever you think the distance is you should be from them, you should double that. That's so fair. if you think you're 100 yards from them, you should move to 200 yards because you're right. really closer than you think you are. Right. Is that a fair rule of thumb? Or I would say that's a fair rule. Um, 
I mean, 200 yards, 300, 300 would be phenomenal. Um, shoot, even 100 yards sometimes is a lot for us when, yeah. it, when it's really yeah. cranking. And sometimes it works if the fish are moving and the boats are playing leapfrog, right? If right. the boats all know what they're doing. Exactly. So the, the, the boats know bit. what they're doing is a, is a huge thing. So, so, so say, say there's four boats out there that know what they're doing. How does that look? So everybody will be on a line. The fish are moving down. Usually if we're leapfrogging, they're not moving super fast, but they're not moving super slow to where if you were trying to get out in front of them, you're making too much noise on the trolling motor. So what you'll do is kind of hopefully you're in front of them. They're coming down or up the beach, whatever direction they may be heading. You're in position. You throw, you know, make your couple casts and then let them pass you and let them get up there a ways. You know, and 50, the next boat would be in line. Next boat's in line. So let them get like, don't start your freaking motor when those fish are just off your bow and 20 yards out because you now alerted alerted them you, to what's you've happening. You've impacted the other. It's inconsiderate. You're impacting the other guy's day, right? Right. And four guys would be a lot, but that's going to be how it stacks up sometimes. Ideally, you're working with a friend of yours or a buddy or another guy. In my situation, another guide. And you can kind of let those fish pass you at 50, you know, get 30, 40, 50 yards away from you, fire up your motor, go way out and around them. Way while you're, out. While, yeah. Out. I go out. I go out. I don't. Because sometimes go I'll in, go. Sometimes I'll go in, but I'll go way in. Uh, I'll yeah. Go, like, I'll go way like up to the beach. Right. I'll go way tight. Um, you but just not give fish space. Right. I try to give them a big buffer zone, and I go way out and around, or way in and around, whatever you want to call it. Depends on where the fish are oriented depth wise, and then get another fifty yards, hundred yards up from your buddy. Settle in. So Wait for those fish, fish as him. they come past him, you you get your shot. And then you guys just keep plucking and then, you know, keep hopscotching each other, essentially. And I'll do this for a while. And if there's other groups of fish and, you know, if I've gotten into position two, three times, I've, I know my baits are where they need to be and they're just not eating, I'll peel off. I'll and go, go, I'll go find a fresh with. bunch. At some point, it's futile. <laughs> It's not to say they won't ever eat out of that. They will they, at some point. Fifty times, or <laughs> right? Whatever. They will at some point. They're going to eat, but it might be eleven thirty. It may be one in the afternoon. Uh, tackle. What do you? What do you? What is your tackle set up for tarpon? Beach fishing for tarpon. I like an eight an eight foot rod. Like a um, heavy action. Heavy action. It depends on who the manufacturer is. Um, what do you use today? I use eight foot twenty thirty. Or I guess it would be 2040 now. Crowder rods. Yep. They're R series, uh, slick butt with a gimbal, foam foregrip. Uh, as opposed to cork, I just like it because it's got the gimbal in it. Feels a little better, and I like the slick butt in the uh, rod holder because sometimes we're floating baits out back. It'll catch. Um, it doesn't yeah. catch. Right. It doesn't. And it just feels better. I like the better of us with a foam and a slick butt as opposed to cork. Um, uh, I've been mainly using the Penn Spin Fisher series, whatever they're on now. I don't know. Um, yeah, Spin Fisher 27 yeah. version. Um, but they've just been freaking tanks, man. I'll get like two two seasons out of them before I need to service them. Because I'm using them for, I don't know, a month and a half, two months out of the year. Right. But you're using them hard. Right. And I use the, they're 7500s. Okay. So that's, that's the size. Ones. Yeah. I, I had the 65s. On my on some lighter sticks and 
it seems like every time I got the light stick out, you know, a, a class down, it, the big fish would eat it and it'd just take forever and just. What do you, I want to come back to that fish, fish size classifications. What do you, uh, what, what kind of line are you running? 40 pound. I use the Momoi diamond braid. Okay. You use a braid and mm-hmm. then you go to a fluorocarbon leader. Yes. Uh, long, like eight, nine foot sometimes. And what, what size leader? Six, I use 60. I fi- I figure if they're going to, you're going to get more bites and if they're going to break 60, they're, they're going to break, break 80. 80. Yeah. And 80 is just, I don't know about you. To me, it feels like the difference between tying a knot with 60 and 80. It's huge. Like, yeah. It's like, Giant. It's like using monofilament versus using a rope. Right. It's like one is way harder than the other in right. my mind to, to make a good knot. Mm-hmm. It may just be I'm bad at it, but no, 60 <laughs> is still pliable enough to where I can make a good knot out of it. Right. And and also too, you get the uh, friction burn tying your knot to your hook. Oh God! With, yeah. From sixty to eighty, it's substantial. <laughs> you really got to wet that eighty. Uh, hooks. What do you use for hooks? I use a must add, uh, tournament approved, either eight knot or nine knot, depending upon what I'm doing, the size of the crab. If I'm fishing pinfish or crab, a lot of variables. But I've almost gone exclusively to using the nine knot. It's a little beefy. The circle hook or circle hook, circle hook. You, uh, crabs, you, do you break the pinchers off or you keep them on? I break them off. You break them off. Do you do that just for survival in your well or do you do that? No. And I've gone back and forth on presentation because they're eating crabs that have the claws attached and it's going to give you a little better silhouette. I think it probably throws better without the claws, but I just break it off just that way when I'm reaching in there, I don't have a panic attack when I... See Gosh. claws on a crab. How many times have you been pinched by a crab? Conservatively. A million? <sighs> no, not a lot. Because, you know, I do it with the pliers and it just drops the claw. And oh, it's easy. you're breaking them off. Yeah. I don't, I don't, I'm not grabbing them and popping them off. I'm just pinching that front I've clipper. been pinched by a crab a million times and it still scares me every time. Right. Every it time. always catches you off it guard. It doesn't hurt that bad. They're it's too just close like, to spiders, man. Right. They just look too much like spiders. They need to cut back on that. <laughs> there's days i just can't deal with it right but every time i like jump and squeal like a like a kid like oh. um you you hook your crabs through the the point yeah use so, it it always seems to be the right side really <laughs> yeah or let's see left side because i'm grabbing it with my right hand i got the hook in my left and that's just how it stacks up um so do you go from top to bottom or bottom to top bottom to top why it's i don't know I don't have a reason for it. That's just I always, the way it goes. I always for me. thought it crushed the shell if I went the other way. I I don't know that that's true. I just remember thinking that. Like, I, if I you go always, from the top down. If I went from the top down, I felt like I always broke more crabs. I feel like the bottom is slightly more rigid than the top. So yeah, that makes so I sense. always came in the other way. Yeah, and felt it felt felt right to me. Um, pinfish. How do you hook a pinfish? Mm, almost a pin? every time it's in the back. You go. You go just kind of the spine or first. The, third of his dorsal okay so kind of further to the hump what would be the shoulders of the pinfish if he had shoulders yeah um thread fins same uh nose usually i'll nose hook them you belly hook them if you don't nose hook them or you go back usually back okay but very seldom am i not hooking them in the nose controversial question you ever use catfish for tarpon bait i haven't i know people who have i know it works I love I, catfish not, for tarpon bait. I ain't, messing, I ain't messing with a catfish to catch tarpon. Yeah, I would rather mess with catfish than crabs. Crabs are really? spidery, man. They're just spidery. I'll take it. I'll take the I'll take the spidery over the catfish barbs. <laughs> um, 
Okay, so here's the we're gonna leave tarpon. I think we I think we exhausted tarpon. Yep. I feel like we pretty much that covered well. it. Yeah. Now, if you want to go catch a tarpon now, and you can come book RC if you really want to learn how to do it. But everyone in Florida wants to be a guide. Like everybody listening to this that right. fishes wants to be a guide, right? You, how yeah. often do you get that question from your buddies or whatever? Hey, man, what does it take to be a guide? Not as much as you would think. I definitely get clients who's like, man, you're living the dream. You know, you, you know, that's what I want to do when I retire. And I'm like, you probably really don't. <laughs> at, least, at least not the way that a lot of, you know, not a lot of us, but probably half of us do it. I mean, like every morning. Pro- what, what time are you out there in the morning? I'm up at five now. Like now I'm waking up at five when the sun's coming up at, I don't know, what is it? 6.45, it starts to get daylight. I'm up at five. I'm on the boat. Usually about five forty-five, six o'clock. Um, what time are you throwing a net? Six forty-five, six forty-three. Sometimes depends on if it's cloudy or clear skies. Yeah. Which time? Whatever time sunrise is. As you're, soon you're as I can see cast. that bait dimpling on the surface, um, to where I don't think I'm going to put a catfish in the net. How many times are you throw in the net on a good day? On a good day, twice. On a bad day, twenty something. <laughs> How big's your net? Uh, so I actually just bought another one. I, I'll predominantly throw in a 10 unless I really need to get it out there. And then I'll go back to an eight, but I usually throw a 10 foot humpback, which feels more like an 11. I really like, that's the lead fisher. Yeah. Yeah. I really like those nets. Yeah, they're, it's, yeah, it's a great net. I've switched away from them several times and I always come back to them. They're really good nets. Mm-hmm. It's not to knock any of the others. I just, I really like those nets. Mm-hmm. It's well, it's a, it's the old black pearl. Yeah. And it, it's a great, it opens it's a great right. net. Yeah. It's it the just, right size. It wants to be open. It does. It's, it's easier to throw, I think, than a lot of the other. Right. Nets. If you make sure it's clear, make sure your <laughs> lead lines are all clear first. Um, so you're out there, you're throwing the net somewhere between two and and two and 20 times a day. Times. Yeah. It's been about eight to 10 lately. lately. Yeah. Uh, how many live wells are you filling up with bait? I just do one, but I got a 50 gallon. Okay. So you got a transom. gigantic live, a well. big live well. Yeah. And then you're off to pick up your, well, then you probably wash your boat, down. wash it down. Um, it's depending on how, depending, be presentable. depending on how, how quick the bait hunt goes, I'll go rinse it down at a, you know, Marina or a bait shop with fresh water. Sometimes I'm in a hurry and the bait was being tough and buckets of salt water. (laughs) That sucks, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Um, And then you're off to pick up clients. Right. Chamois, the front deck, seating area, the seat, and then pick them up. And then you run four-hour trips, eight-hour trips? Predominantly four. I'll do – I don't do a lot of eight-hour inshore trips or offshore for that. It is a long day. Um usually we can get what we need to get done in four hours, six hours tops. Unless somebody really wants to do like in the fall when the kingfish, bonita, shark, mackerel things going on, they want to do that. We can do some near shore, you know, some near shore ledges and then come inside and inshore fish that stacks up well, but eight hours inshore is a long day. What is some advice you'd give the guy that wants to become a guide? And you can't say don't. <sighs> don't would be, would be it. <laughs> Um, not that I don't love it and not that I'm unhappy with my choices I've made. No, because there's a kid out there somewhere that should be the next guy, right? right. Like there's, there, there's there are people who are built for it, yeah. who do it right. What's um, some advice you'd give to that? Just work hard at it. Um, you know, if you have a bad day or if you have the time and the trip didn't go as well as you can, as you planned it would and you've got time to do it, fish them a little longer. I kind of got 
<laughs> and it's funny to tell people this. I'll go out on a day off where I don't have anything going on. Not so much this time of year because I'm fishing Books so much. Yeah, I'm working almost every day. But in the later part of the year, when we get to get slower times, August, September, October, November, uh, I'll go out during the week on my day off. And I'll bring some rods with me and I'll throw a little bit, but I'm mainly going through stuff and making seeing what is where and what time and just either... Paying attention and learning. Right. Because there's stuff... You can almost set your calendar when certain stuff goes off and where fish show up into an area that they sh- should be, cal- you know, annually. Just go and check it and just it's, stay on it. It's not unlike the white butterfly thing, right? When the white well, butterflies show up. Well, the white butterfly. I mean, I saw a white butterfly three weeks ago. There ain't no tarp in here. Okay. I have seen like two fish on the bar running in from fish in the beach. Just random. Just a single random fish. Just uh what is i guess work yeah work work hard don't don't be complacent don't sit in a spot when you're not catching anything work at it try it would be my advice how many spots how many spots you you fish on a bad day on a four-hour charter i've never kept count but it's it's got to be north of 15 20 (laughs) i i I cannot sit if if i'm sitting somewhere five minutes and something hasn't happened, I'm going to slide 50 yards or 100 yards this way. And if that doesn't happen, I'm going to move it one more time. If I'm confident there's stuff going on, and I'm going to slide again. And if that doesn't work, I'm gone. I'm moving. So I may give it 10, 15, 20 minutes in a zone. Unless I'm really confident. Like yesterday. Are you just sure? Yeah. yeah. Like yesterday, we're throwing lures. I, I went down the shoreline for probably 400 yards throwing and we had a couple pops here and there on the baits that never hooked anything i'm like i know these fish are in here there's no way they're not here and we found them in certain situations you can be comfortable like that but unless i'm a hundred percent sure that nothing's changed i'm not there long tell us about the fishing camps you guys do so because this is a pretty cool thing right right it's it's awesome my uh my really good friend who is a guide. Uh, he's getting out of guiding now. He's starting a tackle shop up in Lakewood Ranch, actually. Jeremy started this. I want to say Jeremy Lee. Jeremy Lee. Yeah. So he started this kids fishing summer camp. I want to say 2015, 2016, somewhere thereabouts. Um, I got on it the next year. So I've been doing it the past four years. And now with him getting into the tackle shop, he's not going to have the time to put all this together to devote to it and then organize everything and deal with it. So, um, myself and my father purchased the camp from them and now we're running it. So how does that work? So it's kids, it's a five day program, Monday through Friday, eight to one. Uh, currently we're planning on five boats per week. We got three weeks up. Actually we only have one day open on one of the weeks currently. But the other weeks have got a couple of little availability. Um, 8 to 1 o'clock, kids can be 8 to 14, boys or girls. I think we have three or four girls signed up. And they're somehow they're all in week three, which is cool. <laughs> That's going to be a fun yeah, week. Yeah, it's going to be cool. No, because the girls are awesome. They are they're, awesome. They're great. They listen really they well. They do exactly what you say. They on listen. The, on the, yeah. Yeah. I don't mean that sexist, but like anytime you take a lady fishing, they typically... They're going to outfish the guys. Yeah. Every time. <laughs> every time. <laughs> Um, 
So you get you get three weeks of those, but you still do have some openings on them. We still don't have openings. Um, we, I'm probably going to have week three full by the time this airs. Um, and then week one, week two, we may do a fourth week, but I'm not planning on that until. So, so essentially, a parent pays. Right, pays, and then it's like you're any other camp. You know, they show up, drop the kid off at. You know, some of the parents are there at seven thirty. Some of them get there right at eight o'clock. But from eight o'clock to one o'clock, we're out there mainly fishing. But there's a lot of instructional stuff. We'll do a lunch break in there, which isn't usually very long because the kids are itching to get going. But we do lunch not a fifteen minute lunch. Yeah, they really they <laughs> and they're they're like itching like they'll go climb on the boat and start fishing off the back of the boat and like no guys come come on we're gonna do our instructional stuff now that it's like the middle of July and it's hot in the middle of the day. I thought you were anti sandbar, but you were definitely pro sandbar. No, I, and it, yeah, we, and I have we mentioned that on the conversation we're having like that's because the kids love the sandbar. They'll they be, love the sandbar. Well, and that's where we take them to throw the cast nets. So we'll do cast net instruction, not tying lures. We do it one day all artificial lures for oh, the camp cool. where they just throw lures. Usually it's Thursday after they've had a couple of good runs. Um, God, you guys are brave. You're putting kids. Are you slinging. doing treble hooks? No, no. Treble I was about hooks. to say, like, I could think of no. four Zara spooks going at a time. No, I don't trust adults doing that. Every once in a while, um, well, not every once in a while. If you if you're the captain who ends up with some of the older kids who are, and some of these kids are good, good, really good. Um, you know, whether it be that they do it a lot on their own or their buddies, you know, with their buddies or their parents fish. But some of those kids are really good. And those kids, you could kind of do it, but throwing four top waters, Oof. there's just not an area where that's productive. <laughs> you need a 68-foot long boat yeah. for me to feel good about that. Yeah. Uh, most of the time, we're throwing soft baits, jerk baits, um, some paddle tail stuff like so, that. So you do that every summer? It's been every summer. This will be the fifth year I'll be doing it this you get upcoming a lot of July. Campers? A lot. A lot of them come back. Um it seems like almost until they're too old to do it anymore. And then last year we did a, a kid's tarpon mini camp. It was a three-day deal in June. Okay. Um, still up in the air if we're going to do that or not. Yeah, COVID kind of fouled up a lot of logistics around stuff like that, like planning it out. We we were able to do everything last year. You were? But, yeah, I'm just not, I'm not sure if – it's just, as you know, it's one of those things that the weather's got to be great. The fish – and if you do it in the June – the fish are going to be here, but the uh, weather could just completely wreck those three days. How do you deal with? I didn't have this on the list. But how do you deal with? <coughs> how do you deal with? Every client that books you expects the greatest day of their life, right? Like, like, like a lot of people save up their money. This is a Christmas present, or this is a, a birthday like, uh, gift, or it, yeah. There's some wealthy clients out there that book you every year, and they're going to do it no matter what. How, you feel a tremendous pressure with that, right? Yes. <laughs> yes. I wish y'all could see his face right there as he as I sunk in. But it, yes. it, it's like a thing that you take very seriously. You want them to. They will, I want them to have the best trip that they've ever had. And I work for that to happen. And sometimes that doesn't happen. But And I feel like a lot of time I'm definitely my own worst critic. I know how a day should go and how I want it to go. And theoretically how the fish should cooperate. And sometimes the fish are just. Not having it. I had a day a couple of years ago where I circled the tide and told this guy in like January. Like, like dude, this we can't is miss. The day. We can't miss. This is the day. I'm just, I'm giving it to you right now. And dude, we couldn't buy a fish. It was, it was bad. We po- post front or just. It, it was a summer bite. 
It was a summer evening tide. And we went to a spot where the previous year on that tide, we had just wrecked them. Right. Like a, like 150 fish night. Oh. Like, and that's not an exaggeration. It was just right. every bait was As a soon fish. as you put it in there. And yeah. this was like seven fish. Oof. Eight fish. And it was like, what is going on? And then then you get in your head a little bit and you move around. Like, and it, Start yeah, running through. Like, what am I doing wrong? Am yeah. I doing something wrong? Do I need to move? Or if, well, if I move and... Did I forget how to fish right. yesterday? Because the day before we wrecked them in a different right. spot. And it's like, oh my God, I told this guy to buy his plane ticket six months ago. Right. So um, It's definitely a lot of pressure. <laughs> the first charter I ever ran was a shutout. We didn't get a bite. And a front came through and it was day after a front and it was the first charter I ever got paid for and i was like i don't think i can take this guy's money because it was so bad i've had two shutouts my that was one of my two both both of them i urged them not to do it cancel reschedule don't go <laughs> like and that's the weird thing for me is you try to tell people this and if say like, this is how I get paid. This is how I pay my bills. This is how I earn my income. I have this conversation in duck season every year. I'm telling you, I don't want to get paid today. That's, that's what, how that's, bad that's it how is. how bad this is. But you're telling me you want you to You still want to go. Yeah. And, and I, I have no remorse in that moment. No. I, you do everything you can to be like, dude. And I've said both times, both times I said... Dude, we may not get... And this is excluding tarpon. Tarpon's its own Tarpon's animal. its own thing, and I'm not talking about... I'm talking about, about inshore fish. Um, both times I told him, like, we may not catch a fish today. And the one was actually, was that six years ago? The freeze? Oh, yeah. I was on the water that day. Oh, the, the day no. after that front. Oh, I, I no. had like three, three articles of clothing on the feel like temp on the water was 28 when the previous day was Miserable. 70. The previous day was 70. Yeah. That was one of them. The other one was a similar situation. It was the worst front of the year. I will never forget. It was the first charter paying charter I ever ran. So this is like 2005. Right. Give or take. We did not get a bite. We did not. I mean, it was like the fish vanished. And it was a day after front. It was in November sometime. And I'll never forget on that trip, one of the clients was reeling in a popping cork and a Spanish mackerel hit the popping cork mm. on the flat somewhere. And I was like, what that I, like I can't buy a fish. Like I, I was right. legitimately questioning every life choice I'd made up. I've thought moment. about putting hooks on my corks every I have too. a few times. <laughs> but yeah, it was fine after that. But that day definitely I was like, okay, let's get that out of the way right, right off the bat. Done. <laughs> Worst start ever. RC, people want to come fish with you. How can they get in touch with you? Uh well, my website is gforcefishingcharters.com. Um Cell number is 941-256-4119. My social medias, I guess. I don't, I don't, I have a business page on Facebook. I don't really do much because I have more people on my personal than I do my yep. business. Um, RC Gilliland, G-I-L-L-I-L-A-N-D. Double and, L's one time. Right, not, yeah, no and T's. No T's, no double T's L's, just double no L, no T's. Um, and then my Instagram is C-A-P-T, like captain, but shortened, underscore RC. And I'll put links to all that in the show notes if anybody wants to come fish with RC. Something we didn't talk about is one of the things that attracted me to you a long time ago in our relationship. I've seen you speak up and show up on stuff for conservation. I've seen you. You've, you've come to spray meetings at Kissimmee. Yeah, we did three, the Kissimmee what, spray three and a half meetings. hours from here? 
I mean, it's not a, a yeah, a short, it's a long drive. <laughs> it's not a short little jaunt, but like we're sitting in a room covered in CCA art. It's obviously you care about the resource in a big way beyond also that I need it for my job. Right. It's, it'll be, even if I wasn't doing this as a profession, I would still be doing this recreationally. Exactly. And, and so I do. That, and I do. I feel like without putting down a whole stereotypical group, cause we have a lot of friends, both of us have friends that are guides. Right. But I feel like that's not as common as it once was in the, in the fishing industry and in the hunting industry. Like I feel like it's not as, it's not as mainstream as it once was. There's a lot more consumers of the resource. I would say that's fair. There's, whereas, you know, as a kid, everyone I saw as a guide was somebody who liked fishing. Whereas, and most, and most of the guys who do guide like fishing, but not, it becomes more of a job, it seems That's like. what I'm trying to say, and right. I'm not saying it well. You said, it, as a kid, I'm sure you looked up to Scott Moore or people like that. And right. in, in this area... Scott was always doing stuff with CCA. He was always talking about the resource in a positive way. Mm. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, he was awesome at fishing and loved fishing, but he also got it. Right, got in it. Yeah, he he got his hands dirty, so to speak, in a good way. So thank you for the time, man. Absolutely. My pleasure. Good to see you as always. Thanks again to R.C. Gillen for joining us, letting us come into his house and do the interview. And awesome time anytime our paths cross. I feel like we could hang out and talk for hours and commiserate and also just have a good time. So make sure you guys, if you're looking for a charter captain in the Sarasota area, RC should be top of your list. Obviously, he's great with kids. I know we have a lot of listeners out there with families and stuff. Be great to get that on your list for this summer. Hope everyone enjoyed the show. Make sure to check us out on Patreon, on all the social medias. Tell your friends about us. Leave us a review. And y'all have a great week. Bye.